0: This is a story about one of the biggest financial heists in history. $4.5 billion stolen and allegedly used for yachts and jewelry and high-end artwork and apartments.
1: Prosecutors say the money was stolen out of a fund in Malaysia known as 1MDB. And one of the most elite investment banks in America helped raise most of the money that was in the fund. That bank was Goldman Sachs. Investigators in the U.S. have been looking at Goldman Sachs's involvement in the alleged fraud. And now,
0: a punishment for the bank could be imminent. Today on the show, the role of Goldman Sachs in one of the biggest financial scandals in history. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power— I'm Kate Leinbaugh.
1: And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Monday, January 6th. To understand how Goldman Sachs got involved with the scandal, you have to go back to 2012, a couple of years after the financial crisis.
0: Goldman survived, but just barely.
1: Our colleague Liz Hoffman covers finance.
0: I mean, they got bailed out by the federal government, you know, along with the rest of Wall Street. They're kind of limping. The U.S. economy is very weak. So they went abroad.
1: With business slow in the U.S., Goldman put together a plan to try and make more money overseas in places like Latin America and the Middle East. And a big area of focus was Asia.
0: Goldman Sachs realized that Asia was a huge opportunity. They identified about $12 trillion of assets held by institutions in the area, and Goldman only had a tiny chunk of that business. I mean, it was wide-open territory there. These are things like pension funds and sovereign wealth funds. There's a lot of money in Asia, and a lot of that money just sits in government coffers, and they, don't, they need to do something with it, and Goldman wasn't plugged into them the way they wanted to be.
1: So Goldman started courting clients all across Asia. One of the bankers heading up this push was a man named Tim Leisner.
0: Tim Leisner is a German national, and he's sort of this flashy, smooth-talking guy. He's uh, he's married to uh, Kimora Lee Simmons, the American uh, fashion designer. He became a partner, which is you know, as high as it gets at Goldman. There's only about 450 of them, and it's this like very sacred ritual. in the bank every two years, like, inducts new members into its partnership. And he rose the ranks in investment banking at Goldman, and eventually was their most senior investment banker in Southeast Asia.
1: As one of Goldman's top bankers in the region, Leisner was responsible for finding new business for the bank. And in 2012, he brought in an opportunity for a potentially very big deal. It was with a fund from Malaysia called the One Malaysia Development Berhad. But everyone knows it as 1MDB.
0: It was a fund set up by the government of Malaysia. And it was basically there to fund things that the country, you know, it needed things like infrastructure and power plants and toll roads and airports and all kinds of economic development that needed to be spurred, that's what it was there for. And the mandate was go raise some money and then go spend it on projects that will help build the Malaysian economy.
1: To help build the Malaysian economy, 1MDB wanted to raise billions of dollars from outside investors. And to raise that much money, the people who ran the fund needed help.
0: They're not very financially
1: sophisticated.
0: And so for a firm like Goldman... It is the perfect client. They need to do a lot of things, and they don't know how to do it.
1: Leisner wanted Goldman to help 1MDB raise the money it needed. So one of the first things he did was offer to help the fund with a bond sale that would raise a big chunk of money, about $1.75 billion. And the bond sale would earn Goldman millions of dollars in fees. But before they could do that deal, Leisner needed to get approval internally from people at Goldman Sachs who vet new business. Basically, the bank needed to do some due diligence first.
0: There's this meeting in Hong Kong that has a bunch of senior bankers from around the region, uh, and their job is to poke and prod at this deal, to see whether it's something Goldman should be doing, whether it should be committing its money to it, whether they want to put their name on it. What's the risk? What's the reward? Why are we doing this? How should we think about it as a client, as a transaction?
1: Were there any red flags that suggested that they might not want to proceed? There were. What were they?
0: So this committee produces a memo, which we've seen, that sort of details some potential risks around the transaction. First was the size of the fee Goldman would make for selling the bonds, much larger than is typical in a transaction. What Goldman has said is they went back to them a bunch of times, said, look, we could charge you this and do it this way. We could charge you this and do it this way. And that 1MDB chose the highest fee. And who is Goldman to say, we won't take your money? Certainly in retrospect, and given the documents we've looked at at the time, everyone knew that the fee here was a little out of whack, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty obvious red flag, because if 1MDB is willing to pay way above the going rate, you have to ask yourself why.
1: So why was 1MDB willing to pay such a higher fee?
0: So what we found in our reporting is that 1MDB told Goldman that they wanted the money quickly and quietly. There was some discussion about, well, it'd be bad if anyone found out about this. They talk about sort of the risks of media scrutiny.
1: The concerns went beyond that one meeting in Hong Kong. Separately, other people at Goldman had reservations about someone closely associated with the fund, a man known as Jolo.
0: So Jolo is a Malaysian national of of Chinese descent. He had worked his way in very early to the new administration in Malaysia uh, and got very close to the prime minister who was setting up this fund. But he's in his 20s at this point. He has no real experience in international finance.
1: Previously, when Lowe had applied for a bank account at Goldman, the bank rejected him because compliance officers couldn't figure out the source of his apparent wealth. Lowe has said his wealth is legitimate. His presence had also been flagged by Goldman compliance officers on other deals. But despite all these concerns, the bank decided to move forward anyway.
0: This is a chance to get a really big fee, and it's also an opportunity to get a real foothold in a region where Goldman and a lot of other banks think there's going to be a lot of business over the next few years.
1: And it did lead to a lot of business. Goldman was able to sell those initial bonds and over the next few years would sell even more, eventually raising $6.5 billion for the fund. But not all of that money went where it was supposed to go. Instead of spending billions on power plants, bridges, and other major investments in Malaysia, prosecutors say the money was stolen. Where the money went, and what it could mean for Goldman, that's after the break. — Welcome back. As Goldman and 1MDB were working together, it turned out those high fees Goldman was charging weren't just for the first deal. The fees stayed high.
0: All in, Goldman would do three deals for 1MDB. They would raise $6.5 billion, and they made about $600 million in fees. So about
1: 10%. 10%. And how much does a bank normally make in a deal like this? 1% to 2%. Okay, so it was massively larger.
0: Massively larger. So these deals started to get noticed. They got noticed in the markets by other investors and traders. They started to get noticed by the press. Because the question was, how did Goldman make so much money with this fund that no one had ever heard of? And so people across the world, various places, start looking into this. Malaysia starts looking into this. They're wondering, wait, what did we pay this fee for?
1: Malaysian authorities started asking questions about what was happening to the billions of dollars Goldman had helped 1MDB raise. Because despite raising so much money, there wasn't much to show for it. And then... In 2015, 1MDB's
0: offices in Malaysia get raided by the police, hmm. and they walk out with all kinds of documents. This is sort of where the first pillar of this whole scheme starts to collapse.
1: Before long, U.S. authorities were investigating also. The attorney general at the time, Loretta Lynch, laid out the scope of the fraud investigators were saying they'd found. —
0: As my colleagues will explain in further detail, the co-conspirators laundered their stolen funds through a complex web of opaque transactions and fraudulent shell companies with bank accounts in countries around the world, including Switzerland, Singapore, and the United States. What they find is that 1MDB just got looted. The money just flew out of this fund. All the money, stolen. Something like $4.5 billion.
1: $4.5 billion, investigators now say, was stolen from the fund. It's one of the biggest heists in history.
0: Prosecutors say it mostly went to three places. One is allegedly to the Prime Minister of Malaysia and his family, who was running for re-election at the time prosecutors say that hundreds of millions of dollars from 1MDB got diverted into a political slush fund for him to kind of hand out favors and shore up his popularity. A lot of it went to allegedly to his family, to his wife, received um, a lot of jewelry and artwork and they allegedly funded like a very expensive lifestyle that he would not otherwise have been able to afford um, on a government salary.
1: The prime minister's alleged involvement with 1MDB turned into a major political crisis in Malaysia. He lost a bid for re-election in 2018 and is now on trial, facing charges of money laundering, abuse of power, and criminal breach of trust. He's pleaded not guilty. The second place prosecutors say a lot of the money went was to Jolo. He's the guy who'd been close to the prime minister and who'd already been on Goldman's radar years earlier as a potential red flag. Joe
0: Lowe, allegedly. You know, he bought a huge yacht called Aquanimity. Hmm. He uh, threw fantastic parties in Vegas, big gambler. He bought uh, a lot of New York real estate. He helped finance uh, a movie production company, which made The Wolf of Wall Street.
1: Ah, the one with Leonardo DiCaprio? That one, yep. Great movie. (laughs) It's a great movie. Yeah, the irony there is pretty incredible. Yeah. In October, Lowe came to an agreement with U.S. authorities to give up more than $700 million in assets. The surrendered assets included real estate, a luxury yacht, and a private jet. In a statement at the time, Lowe said the agreement did not constitute an admission of guilt, liability, or any form of wrongdoing. Lowe has said he had no official role at the fund and that he did nothing wrong. Joe Lowe's whereabouts are unknown. He's wanted in the U.S. where he faces criminal charges. Finally, the third place prosecutors say the money went was to two Goldman bankers. One of them was Tim Leisner.
0: So Tim Leisner has pleaded guilty to stealing about $200 million from 1MDB for his own personal accounts. He siphoned a lot of it off through shell companies and dummy corporations, And he's pleaded guilty to that and to arranging bribes for government officials in Malaysia and Abu Dhabi. And what prosecutors say is that Tim Leisner arranged for tens of millions of dollars to go to the prime minister of Malaysia and his family, and effectively that those were bribes to ensure that 1MDB kept hiring Goldman to do its deals. And so he's going to be sentenced, and he's likely facing prison time.
1: The second Goldman banker implicated in the scandal is Roger Ung, a former managing director at the bank who reported to Tim Leisner. Ung is facing criminal charges in the U.S. and has pleaded not guilty.
0: Goldman has always said that these two bankers were bad apples. They were rogue actors and that they were just out to commit crimes and steal money and they went out of their way to make sure that no one at the firm found out about it. Usually what you hear from banks when there's rogue traders or rogue actors is that they were usually pretty junior and they were sort of trying to make some
1: money on the side. But Leisner wasn't a junior employee. He was a partner at the bank. And prosecutors aren't just investigating those two employees, they're also going after Goldman itself. They wanna know why Goldman didn't spot all that suspicious activity at 1MDB and do something to stop it. Because banks are supposed to have systems in place to stop these sorts of things.
0: So if you walk into a grocery store, it's not the grocery store's job to know if you're a criminal. If you walk into a bank branch and you have financial crimes in your past or you go on to commit financial crimes and they don't find it, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. So banks are unusual in that way in that they've kind of been deputized by law enforcement to sort of be the first warning sign for financial crimes. And if they overlook red flags or sort of knowingly uh, ignore warning signs, they get in a lot of trouble for it.
1: Liz has reported that Goldman may get in trouble for missing the warning signs about suspicious activity at 1MDB, Her sources say the bank may be close to accepting a punishment from the government.
0: So they've been in negotiations with a bunch of U.S. regulators for many months now, and they're getting close to resolving
1: it. And how are they going to resolve it?
0: So people we've talked to say that they're discussing a deal with the government right now that would involve them paying a fine of about $2 billion. A subsidiary of Goldman would plead guilty to a felony, and the bank would agree to install an outside monitor, basically a watchdog, to take a look at their compliance procedures and make sure that something like this could never happen again.
1: That's pretty unusual. So what would a monitor do exactly?
0: So a monitor is basically a babysitter. Uh, It's someone appointed by the government from the outside to come in and look at how you do business and make changes so that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. And some... Uh, Banks had monitors after the mortgage crisis. Uh, Banks have gotten monitors for running afoul of U.S. sanctions laws over the years. It can be pretty invasive depending on how it's done. And so that's why it would be pretty significant if Goldman accepts a monitor. It would be an acknowledgement that they kind of fell down on the job, that it wasn't just two bad apples, but that the way their system is set up to find these crimes before they happen failed.
1: And then potentially, I would imagine it could change the types of deals that Goldman is willing to do. I mean, even deals that were perfectly legal, but they might just say, it's too much hassle to deal with this monitor.
0: Goldman has always made its money being a little edgier, a little more willing to take risk, and a little smarter than every other bank on Wall Street. Uh, it's served them well, but it's also how they get into situations like this. Uh, but if they do have a monitor, and if that monitor does force some changes, you know, you could see a situation where there are some changes to how they do business and what kind of business they end up doing. And it can sound kind of in the weeds to you and me, but the way that a bank decides, yes, this is a client we want to have and this is a fee we want to take, I mean, you start saying no to stuff and it hits the bottom line pretty quickly.
1: What has the bank, Goldman Sachs, been saying, if anything, about its overall involvement in this scheme?
0: I would say over the many years that I've been following this, they have... Gone from staunchly defensive to, well, maybe we did something wrong, but let us explain to you why it looked different at the time. And now there's a realization there that they got involved in something that they should not have gotten involved with, and it's going to be expensive to settle it.
1: Mm -hmm. Have they said anything publicly?
0: Not much. They've said they're working on it. And I should say, in all of this, there was a regime change at Goldman. So the CEO at the time isn't there anymore. And a new CEO came in, and he's very eager to move on and get this resolved. and So they've, they've told shareholders they've been talking to the government. They're trying to get it done sensibly. There's lots of moving parts. There's a bunch of regulators. They would like to, to settle this and move on.
1: In December, Goldman President John Waldron said in an interview on CNBC that, quote, we don't control the outcome, obviously. We're one party. He also said the bank was working hard to get the matter resolved sensibly. The U.S. penalties may be just one part of the repercussions for Goldman. Malaysia is stuck paying off 1MDB's debt and is also seeking billions of dollars in fines. But in the U.S., if a settlement is reached, it could send a message about how U.S. companies should conduct themselves abroad. You mentioned that the settlement looks like it might be around $2 billion. Goldman last year had a profit of $10 billion. About right. So is this a real deterrent
0: It's always the debate with this kind of enforcement. Look, the issue, especially with banks, is that you want to, the government wants to punish them, but doesn't want to put them out of business. But they do want to send a message. Mm -hmm. The government takes foreign bribery very seriously. And even though all the sort of bad acts here happened in Malaysia, Goldman's based right here in New York City. They report to the Fed and the SEC and the DOJ, and the government has the authority to extract a pound of flesh, and they're going to do it.
1: That's all for today, Monday, January 6.
0: The Journal is a co-production of
1: Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.